Hey, here we are in the ballroom. Everybody loves the ballroom, right? It's nice to be up here. Nice, clean, big, huge ceilings, right? But we're a movement, baby, so we'll be an NGO next week with the nerds. Sorry about that. Um, but hey, another week, another football win, right? It's been so much fun. Many of you have been out at Bridge Forest. It's been a lot of fun checking you out uh, and seeing your pictures. Lance lives there, and so if you ever are looking, Lance is there, and so that's nice. Um, and then the uh, Double Bro Sevens played a football game last night, and so we didn't lose, so, but we didn't win either, so we're out there giving it a go, so here it goes. But anyways, my name is Josh, and I'm excited as we are journeying through the book of Luke this semester. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. Are you okay? Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm excited about tonight's passage because as I was reading this past week, I was reminded of James Cone's book, Black Liberation Theology. And I, I flipped back through the first chapter in his book, and he uh, points to the passage that we're going to read tonight as one of the most important passages in the New Testament. And an understanding of theology and an understanding of what the cross means and an understanding of what Jesus' mission was, tonight's passage, the passage we're going to read, the passage that we will discuss, is one of the most important passages in the New Testament, according to James Cone, one of my favorite theologians. I would recommend you check out many of his books. He, uh, he passed away, let's say, three years ago. Um, but uh, his legacy lives on through his books, and so I recommend any and all of them. Uh, God of the Oppressed, Crossing the Lynching Tree, Black Liberation Theology are my three favorite, but you can check out any of them. Uh, but that's an aside. Um, I'm excited tonight that we'll be able to jump into this passage and see what the Lord would say, see what Jesus says, and see how Jesus makes his first impression when it comes to teaching. When it comes to his teaching ministry, and what is the first thing Jesus is going to teach us and what is he going to show us? How many of you know that first impressions can be very important, right? Like we know this, we feel this, we, and there are times in our lives where we go above and beyond in order to make a good first impression. For some of you, that's every Tuesday night live, okay? Hefe, for example, right? Matches the outer shirt to the inner shirt, okay? You can see the theme working itself over and over and over again, right? That's a good first impression. Others of you show up all basic, and I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah, Paul, Michael, Paul, AC. Uh, one of the ways in which we show up that we think about a first impression is what? The first day of school. And I've got some pictures to show you of first day of school. Here we go. Look at that. Got him. Got him. You guys don't care what I say from here on out. These are my kids. Uh, it's two of them at least. This is Judah and Levi. Uh, first day of first grade. Whoa, whoa, whoa. First day of third grade. We're going to get to the girls, I promise. Uh, and so uh, Judah, when he grows up, he wants to go to Disney World. And so I love that. Levi, when he grows up, he wants to see a real tiger in the wild. Um, so we're going we're gonna to work on those. He was telling me today, actually, when uh, he got home from school, how many tigers there are in the wild. He had no idea I was going to show this picture because he would have voted no. Um, but maybe, if, and then I got pictures of the girls also next. There is Emma. Uh, 
Yeah, right? When Emma grows up, she wants to be Lillian Trasher. Um, and so she was a missionary to Egypt, right? Like, like oh, that is like big tough right there. Uh, and then this is Esther. Esther, this is actually her first day of school at JMU. Uh, she's a super freshman. Um, and so, and, yeah, so maybe if, you, if you've been on the uh, quad the last two days, Esther has been out there. Today at just about 12 o'clock, she was at the fountain right in front of Burris. Her teacher sent me a picture, and I was like, oh, snap, I need to get over there. But I didn't. I was like, uh, I could, but I'll see her when she gets home. Um, so yeah, she's, uh, they've been encouraging her to wear tennis shoes because they're going to start going on more walks across the quad. And there are rumors that one day they're going to eat lunch at D Hall. So... Right? I feel like we need to know. Like, give the people what they want. Okay? Okay? So, but if you've been on the internet over the past few weeks, you've been seeing these pictures show up everywhere, right? And other than my kids, most kids, like, show up in, like, like, they're dressed to the nines, right? They're in, like, a a certain outfit that they've been picking out all summer. My kids are like, no, we do what we want. And I'm like, that's right. Um, They get it from who could say. Um, and so, like, there's a sense that, that the first impression that you make, that first day of school, right, you plan that outfit for the whole summer, right? And then there's the other times where, where we know that the first impression is going to make a lasting impression on the game. So oftentimes, we did this last night, uh, football teams will script their first few plays, right, in order to know that they've got to get out of the gate strong. And they need to make the right first impression, And Jesus, in our passage tonight, is going to make the right first impression by telling us of what is of the most importance, of what is the mission, of what is the reason that he came. He's going to explain it to the people around him. He's going to explain it to us. And then we're going to talk about what we should do from there. So, here we go. Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to... Verse 14. Luke writes, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Hey, good news for Jesus, right? Things are going pretty well. Like he's been walking around, he's been teaching. Um, and the people begin to praise him. News about him is spreading. They've heard about him. Hey, there's this guy. He's been talking. Like, you got to hear this. We got to see this. Like, what is this? Like, everybody listen up. Everybody listen up. And, and also note that it says, after he's come out of the wilderness, as we talked about last week, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Throughout Luke's gospel, as we travel this semester, I want you to just kind of keep the power of the Spirit in the back of your mind. The power of your Spirit is a is a theme that will play throughout the Luke and Acts narrative. And I believe the Acts, maybe your Bible calls it the Acts of the Apostle. It might be better to be call it Acts of the Holy Spirit. As we see the Holy Spirit like in action, the Holy Spirit moving and acting throughout the world. As the Holy Spirit starts His church. As the Holy Spirit empowers Peter and Paul. And here, Jesus going in the power of the Holy Spirit. And He is seeing things play out. And like the people are like amazed. But notice that that even though Luke tells us that this is a sense that that Jesus has taught before, Luke hasn't told us any of his teachings. And we we talked at the very beginning, the very first week, that Luke sets out to give an orderly account. And why does that matter? 
It matters here because in this instance, as, as, as Luke transitions from the birth narrative to the call to ministry narrative to now to the teaching narrative, this is going to continue for several chapters in Luke's gospel here. And it's going to end with Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And so it's all kind of starting right here. And Luke lays this out as the beginning, as the first and foremost, as this is like the teaching that Jesus chose to come out of the gate with. It doesn't matter that there were other teachings around. Luke, in his orderly accounts, is like, this is the one that stands out. This is the one that he wanted to make his first impression with. This is the one that is going to set the tone for the rest of them. This is the one. So listen up. Verse 16 says that he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. We'll pause right there. I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger, just saying, like, what, what does he read? What, what was it? i got to know. Tell me. And again, Luke tells us now that Jesus is on the move, right? Jesus is a movement baby in the same way that Kyle was a movement. As we move from room to room, Jesus has been traveling throughout the countryside. He's been moving from town to town. And instead of being in Galilee, he has now returned to Nazareth. Nazareth, the place of beginnings. Luke, again, as he brings out this beginning narrative, this sense of like the first impression, and he says he's back at Nazareth, back in his hometown. He's amongst his peers. He's amongst his friends. He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom. I got a picture of what this would have looked like, the synagogue. And as Jesus would have stood up and been handed the scroll, there would have been this big pedestal in the middle that would have held the scrolls. Um, there are these like big, huge things, and so it would have been a process for Jesus to unroll the scroll and then turn to read. It says he found the place where it was written. Again, he is in Isaiah here. And verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then Jesus gives them the ultimate mic drop, right? It says, He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And verse 22 says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words, the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And then the story continues. We won't read that tonight, but you are welcome to read that uh, as you go home tonight or maybe listen to it on the Bible app, which there's been some discussion on my Facebook feed that maybe the Bible app changed colors a little bit. Like it doesn't feel as brown as it used to be. It feels like it's gone a little more red. Um, and so maybe you could check. Maybe some of you noticed that. Maybe you thought, like, maybe I missed that. Like, how did this happen? But, but nope, that did. That is actually real. I've been seeing it, and I, I noticed that I'm uh, mostly colorblind. Um, and so the difference between blues and greens mean nothing to me. Um, and so, like, the browns and reds, I'm like, it, it's basically all the same thing. We'll just call it an earth tone and move on. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, Jesus is in the synagogue. He's gathered there. At this point in time, the synagogue, as they would have gathered for the teaching, it would have been just men, um, which is tough, right? And so we're glad that that's not the way that uh, Chi Alpha is, because there wouldn't be very many of us in the room. So, like, where, where are all my boys at? Do you know what I mean? Um, 
Adam is ready. That's nice. Uh, Jesus gathered there with the men, and he, he would, they would have read passages. They would have then explained them. They would have taught on them, as, as we heard earlier in the story, that Jesus, has, his teaching has been traveling throughout the countryside. People are excited to be there. There's been rumors. There's been, like, underground. There's been things passing. And it's like, man, like, we've got, we got to hear this guy. And they gather, and they're excited. And then Jesus turns to Isaiah. Isaiah, like the prophet, like, you know, the guy. Matthew will often call him the prophet in his gospel. Like, like Isaiah was like, it was like, this was like the prophet of prophets. Like, if there's a hierarchy of prophets, like, this guy played Division I. Like, like this is like, you know what I mean? Like, like this guy was the guy. Like, he was an All-American all three years, right? He went to the pros early. He's like, I'm not even going to stay for senior year. Like, Isaiah was like the prophet, and Jesus turns to it. And he reads from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. And he says, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this is a sense that as Isaiah wrote this, it's always, it's always fascinating to me, like, when you're a person and, and you got the chance to write Scripture, like, how much of that moment did Isaiah know that he was writing about Jesus? How much of that moment did Isaiah like, like feel like there's going to be one that is coming, there's one that is going to fulfill all these things? And like the excitement in his bones as he wrote that. And then Jesus stands up and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As you're around, as we sit here, this is being fulfilled. I am the answer that you've always been looking for. I am in me. I am what you have been looking for. The thing, those things that you have been longing for. The hope that you have longed for as you've, as you've, read, the, as you've read the prophets, as you've, as you've listened for the Spirit's voice, as you have, have wanted a Savior, I am that person. We'll see it later in the passage. We won't see it tonight, but you can read ahead that at the end of this story, they take Jesus to the, to the edge of the city, to the top of a cliff, and they try to throw him off the cliff uh, because he's not what they thought he was going to be. In this day and age, as they were thinking about the Messiah, as they were thinking about the one who was going to come and fulfill these words, they would have never thought someone would have said them like this. They were looking for someone who was going to be in charge, someone who was going to overthrow government, someone who was going to turn the world upside down, and someone who was going to be like, like come in and just take over. And what they found was someone who was going to take over. What they found was someone who was going to turn the world upside down, just not the way that they thought. They thought it was going to be about power. They thought it was going to be about influence. But Jesus says, no, it's not about those things. It's about freedom. You see, systems of power are built to keep powerful people in control. And Jesus turns the whole thing up on its head and says, actually, this whole thing is about freedom. It's about the oppressed. It's about the blind. It's about the poor. It's about the prisoners. It's about the oppressed. It's about those that need freedom. And I am the God that brings freedom. I am the one who is here to see freedom go out amongst his people, to see freedom flow forth, and to see this live itself radically amongst my people. And that my people are not the people that you thought they were going to be. That you thought they'd be kings, you thought they'd be rulers, and they may be and they might be, but that actually those who are most like me are those who are weak. 
those who most represent my kingdom are those who care about freedom, that those who care about justice, those who care about righteousness, and those who seek others' benefits instead of their own. And as he stands there amongst these powerful people, against the, uh, uh, amongst the religious elite, he says, this isn't it. This isn't freedom. This isn't true freedom. Look out amongst you. I, I love the categories that Jesus chooses. Like as he reads from Isaiah, because they are so all-encompassing in our life. As we look around, we see the poor amongst us. And not just the financially poor, but the poor in spirit. As we look around us, we see the oppressed. Not just systemically oppressed, but we see those who are oppressed in spirit. As we look around us, we see those who are imprisoned, and not just physically imprisoned, but those who are spiritually imprisoned. And as we look around us, we see those who are blind, those who are weak in body, and again, not just physically, but spiritually blind. Spiritually weak in body and in mind. And Jesus says, this is why I have come. This is the beginning of it all. This is the most important thing. This is how we're going to launch this thing out. The mission of God is to see freedom take place. In every single category, in every single facet, in every single aspect of our lives. That the way that this is going to go forward is if we become agents of freedom in a world that desperately needs freedom. And man, as I stand up here tonight, I know that in the backdrop of everything that I'm saying is the political climate that we live in right now, right? That as I say that the gospel is about uh, overturning systems of power, as I say the gospel is about uh, righting systemic wrongs, that some of you, you hear something else behind it. You hear... Um, you hear your Facebook feed. Well, probably both sides of you hear your Facebook feed. You hear your parents. You hear the news that you listen to. There are, there are so many things that sit in the back of our minds as we talk about freedom, as we talk about radical justice, as we, as we talk about living on mission for God in ways in which we could define it. And it's like, well, it has to be this, or it has to be this, or it has to be this. But like, why can't it be both? Like, is the gospel not big enough for that? Is there not enough to go around to actually see this thing radically take hold, not just in, not just in action, but also in word, and not just in word, but also in action? Can't it be all-encompassing? And one of the more, like, amazing, uh, another mic drop moment for Jesus at the end of this passage is, he says in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Isaiah wrote that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, what he was reckoning to was this, this day in Israel called, not this day, this year in Israel called the year of Jubilee. Some of you have sung songs about Jubilee, or Jubilee is kind of a big word right now. As we like get excited, some of you have gone to churches called Jubilee, right? And there's this sense that like Jubilee, and what the year of Jubilee was, it was a year in which the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, would have set everything back to the beginning. And so as you were, um, if you were in debt to someone, you were only in debt to them until the year of Jubilee. 
So if it's like one year until the year of Jubilee and you take out $100,000 student loans, it's forgiven the very next year. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like, let's go. Like, I am like, line up for that. Like, I will wait in a line twice as long for D Hall Chick-fil-A if, if I'm getting my student loans, like, forgiven, right? Like, let's go, right? And there's this, like, like that is like, and if, if you bought a car from someone, if you bought land from someone, if you, like, if, like, the worst came to worst in your society and you, like, had to sell everything you had, they would give it back in the year of Jubilee. And so it was, like, this big celebration, this sense that, like, we're going to party, like, we're all set free, and we're, we are all, we're all equals, we're all in this together. But here's the thing about Israel that's a lot like us. They never actually celebrated the year of Jubilee. There's no historical record. It was there in their laws. It was there that they would have said, like, this is a big deal. This is it. This is like the, the, like the seventh, the seventh, the seventh. Like, this is when we... But they never did it. Why? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of theology to understand why they didn't do it, right? People in power like to stay in power. And it's really hard to like fight this like me versus them mentality. If I give it to them, then I won't have it. If I give away what they gave to me, then I won't have it. If I do this, then I won't be able to do that. And I think that oftentimes God's people live with a scarcity mentality and that we should instead live with an abundance mentality. There is enough to go around because God is enough. And then when it comes to like promoting freedom, when it comes to feeling this sense that like this stuff is so much bigger than me that we have to, as Christians, live with an abundance mentality. That if we are constantly thinking that there is not enough to go around, if we are constantly thinking that we have to keep what's ours is ours, and like we have to fight for this, and we have to... Like, you've been taught your whole lives, right, to, to fight for the American dream and to climb the corporate ladder and to go get yours. And the only way to get that is to push other people down. Only so many people from your school are going to get into med school. Only so many people from your school are going to get that job. Only, only so many people that you wreck are going to get the next promotion, right? There's this sense that it's always like the only way to go up is to push people down. And God says, no, let's live with an abundance mentality. There is more than enough to go around, that we can lift one another up, that we can promote freedom amongst our, amongst our peers. We can promote freedom amongst our family. We can promote freedom in our society if we live with an abundance mentality instead of living with a scarcity mentality. And I think that this like really plays out as we like go about our days, as we go about our weeks, as we look at the life that we live in Jesus, and as we try to figure out how this like, like how the, how the rubber meets the road when it comes to Jesus' proclamation here to set the oppressed free. It's like, what does that look like for us? Like, you know, like how do I, how do I orient my life around this sense that like Jesus' first statement, like his first teaching, like, Maybe the pinnacle moment as he kind of leans towards the cross, as the disciples begin to understand it, is a message of freedom. How do I, like, orient my life around that? So for, like, the application portion of tonight, i got three points that I'm going to make. And each of those points in my—well, we'll just start with the first one. Okay, the first one 
is that we must accept first that we have been set free. That if it doesn't start here, if it doesn't start from our own freedom, then we're going to go about this all wrong. Right? Some of you, like as you think about the oppressed, you think about the poor, you think about the poor in spirit, you think you can begin to make excuses for why they are where they are. How they got there and how you responded and how you did what you did. And that actually your freedom is based on Jesus and not on you. That what Jesus has given to you is, is the gift of grace, like God gives it to you, not based on what you have done, but instead just based on who He is. And that as we start this journey of understanding freedom, as we start this journey of being like freedom people, that we must first start from the sense of understanding and accepting our own freedom. That as we move forward and become a difference maker in society, that we can't do this based on our own selves. We can't do this based on what we feel like is our own merit, our own charisma, our own status, but that actually we do this out of an abundance of grace that the Lord has given us because we have an abundance mentality because our God is enough, therefore there is enough. And there will always be enough as we continue to turn back to Him, as we continue to look back to the root of all things, as we continue to see the God who created all things in order for us to live lives of abundance. And so we live that way out of that heart posture of understanding and accepting our own freedom first. That everything starts from there, everything goes from there. And then as we then, in Chi Alpha, we have three anchors, and the one we're going to talk about tonight is that we then embrace real responsibility. That there is, in fact, a job for us to do in this world based on the mission of Jesus from Luke chapter 4, as he reads from Isaiah, saying this is what we should orient our lives towards. And so number two is we work towards setting people free. And again, when I said, like, I love the categories that Jesus chose because I think that they go both ways. And so when I talk about setting people free, I mean both in word and in deed. This means that we must be proclaimers of the truth, and we must also proclaim truth with our actions. So the first part we're going to talk about just briefly here is being proclaimers of the truth and proclaiming freedom with our words. This means that as you go about your day, as you go through your classes, as you sit with your hallmates, as you sit with your sweetmates, as you sit with your housemates, as you sit with your co-workers, that you become a Jesus person. That you become a person who talks about Jesus early and talks about Jesus often as you bring the gospel up because you believe that the gospel is not something that should be kept to ourselves that you are not stingy with the gospel, you are not greedy with the gospel, but instead you give it freely because it was first given freely to you. That you hand it out early, you hand it out often, you, you talk about God, you bring Him up, you say where you're going and who you're with and why you're going there, because you believe that this makes all the difference and that this will set people free. Now look, I stick out on the college campus, Right? I'm twice some of your age, okay? I'm 36 years old, right? And I'm an ordained minister, right? It becomes very easy for me to bring Jesus up in conversation, okay? Last night, as we played 7-on-7, seven seven, every single one of the guys on the other team eventually knew that I was a pastor. And, and how we got there was, is a fun story. 
Friday night at, the, at UREC playing basketball late at night, the same thing happens. As I just get in conversations with the guys, they ask me what year I am. I have to then explain to them, no, I'm not a super senior. Like, no, I actually put four kids to bed before I came here. And I'm still going to hit a mid-range J in your eye, right? And so, and, and uh, it's iffy, right? It depends on what kind of day I'm having, right? Uh, Friday was a good day. Last night was actually pretty good, too. Um, and so there's this sense that, like, it becomes easy for me to bring Jesus up because then they look at me with, like, like, I have eight eyes, and they're like, why are you here? Well, I'd like to be your pastor. Thank you so much. Would you like to join my Bible study? Can I have your phone number? Can I get your Snapchat? And they're like, dude, stop asking me for my snap. And I'm like, okay, I'll deal with just your phone number. Uh, so I get phone numbers and I text guys, right? Like, hey, let's get lunch. Let's hang out. Let's talk about Jesus. And it's easy for me because I'm a professional minister. Okay? It, like, comes up in conversation. Okay? Whenever I'm on a plane, you know, the first question I ask the person beside me, what do you do for a living? Do you know why I ask them that question? Because they will ask me back. And then I tell them, actually, I'm a pastor. And then they replay every single swear word they've said as they sat down. They're like, oh, my bad. It's like, oh, dude, I work with college students. I hear it all the time. So, and, so, like, and so what I would like for you to do is you think about your days, as you think about your spheres of influence, as you think about the way, the places that you hang out, what are ways in which you could bring up Jesus early and Jesus often? Everybody shares things they're passionate about. It's like we're always showing each other videos or check this out or you got to see this. Last night, I sent my wife um, a barstool reel, which sometimes I'm ashamed to say that I follow barstool. Um, but they had melted a candle and then put firecrackers in the middle of it and then put the candle back on top. And when she lit the candle, like the kitchen exploded. And I was like, we have to do this to my mom. Um, <laughs> And so, like, and it was like, I just, I just loved it, and so I shared it with her. It's totally normal in our society to love things and share them with people. As you love the gospel of freedom, as you love Jesus, as you've seen him transform your life, share about it. Show people the video. Give them the receipts, right? Like, this is what our life is drawn to, and so let's share Jesus early and Jesus often. And as you build rhythms in your life to where you are a Jesus person, as you go to different things that, that like proclaim you're a Jesus person, that's one way to share it. Like, hey, where were you last night? I was actually a core group. What is a core group? And then you share what a core group is. Or, hey, where, where are you going next weekend? I saw you're going to be out of town. I'm going to fall retreat. What does that mean? Is it even fall yet? Like, you know, I can't really tell, right? Some days it's like it could be fall. Other days, it's like, dude, it is hot. Like, this is not fall. Um, and so, like, find ways to bring it up. And let me say this. Bring it up as early as you possibly can. The longer you wait, like, if you wait three or four years into your relationship, it becomes a little bit weird. You know, I was wondering where you were every Tuesday night. You know? <laughs> like, it's like, you just, like, you just, I'm sure there's a show on Tuesday night. You just kept missing it. Uh, and like, like there's this, like, and so just bring up Jesus early and bring up Jesus often. Uh, but not only must you do it with words and what we call proclamation, but you must also do it with your actions. That we must set people physically free. But I believe as Christians that we should be first in line to help those who are less fortunate. 
I believe as the people of God who are set to, sent to give people freedom, we be, should be the first in line to let refugees into our homes. And I believe as the people of God, we should be first in line to line up at prisons and share the good news. We should be the first in line to be parole officers. Like we should be involved on the front lines of this hands-on ministry throughout the world. We should not let the world lead the way. Like we are the ones who have true, the true meaning of freedom. And we are the ones who were given the task to set people free. We should be the first in line to end poverty and systems that bring poverty about. We should be the first in line to end systemic injustices. And we should be the first in line to allow people to live their true best life as we offer them hope with no strings attached. And then again, often we opt out of this because we become stingy with the gospel. Because we think that they haven't earned it. Because we replay all the choices that we would have made if we were in their situation. I would have done it different. Jesus doesn't do that in our passage. He doesn't say the poor who did it the way they were supposed to do. He doesn't say the poor who, the oppressed who, like, didn't mean to be there. He says all who are oppressed, all who are poor, all who are not free should be free. This is the heartbeat of the Christian life. And so we've got to get outside of our comfort zones. And man, do I know that this can be so hard. I've already talked a little bit how like, it's become easier for me as a professional minister, but I have sat in your seat. I know what it is like to try to push through that awkwardness and like proclaim the gospel to your friends. And it's like, what is this going to cost me socially? What's this going to cost me amongst my... What if I invite them to core group and they don't come? What if I invite them to court and they don't talk to me anymore? What, what if they start, like, what if they text about me? What if, what if, what if? And we could play all these different mind games, like, and you just got to push through that awkwardness. Push through, and you get better at it. It becomes more natural to become an inviter. But it actually becomes more natural to become an inviter if you've actually invested in their lives before. Because you don't just see people as projects, Right? Where it's like, hey, you know, I'm only becoming your friend so that I can invite you to my small group. But actually, like, I just have a genuine interest. Like, we're, you're just fun to hang out with. Like, and we just, like, do life together. And by the way, would you like to come to small group with me? And just push through that awkwardness. Get outside of your comfort zone and see what the Lord would do as you give him, as you live abundantly with his gospel. But then I also think that when it comes to like, um, uh, living the gospel out with our actions amongst the poor, amongst the oppressed, that this can be an even awkwarder place for us to get outside of our comfort zone. And I think that oftentimes what I would like to encourage us to do, and I feel like it's a sociological term, but it's going to sound like I made it up, we have to stop othering people. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, where's this sense that like, it's like an us versus them, or it's like, like they are different, and like they do things this way, and this is, this is who they are, and this is why they have gotten there. And like they just become other. 
And Jesus does say the poor you'll always have amongst you, but it's like, well, you know, see, they're other. And so we stay away. And maybe some of you are even taught that in your, in your, like, your upbringing at home. Like, oh, don't go to that side of town. Don't go near them. Don't do that because, well, you know what they're going to spend it on. Uh, probably food. Uh, do you know what I mean? They're probably super hungry. Um, and so, just a guess. Uh, and so, like, we have to push through that awkwardness, get outside of our comfort zone. But I also believe this, and this is going to be really hard at JMU, for, especially for the white people in the room. Um, like, like, did he just say white people? Yes, he did. Um, you're going to have to push through, like, out of your comfort zone and, like, live life with people that don't look like you. And that can be really hard to do at JMU, right? Because you're the overwhelming majority. But I think a good social experiment for each one of you in the room is to get out your cell phone. Like, did you say get out your cell phone? I did. You can all do it right now. Go ahead and get it out. And I want you to look through your messages, which are your primary means of communication, whatever that would be, if it's texting, if it's Snapchat, if it's Insta DMs, if it's something I don't understand, um, it could be that too. And I want you to look through the last 10 people you contacted. And I want you to process as to whether or not they all look like you. And if they do, that's okay for this past week. But I'd like to see you take a step towards inclusivity. Ray is like, none of them look like me, actually. I'm surrounded by whiteies, right? I, I can, like, feel it through the mask. Like, I, I heard her say it. It's like all these basic white girls with their avocado toast showing up in my house. Yeah, like, I actually like avocado toast. I do too, but do you know what? I, I just like bacon with mine. Like, you know, like I'm just going to take all the nutritional value with it and just like throw it out the window. And so what I would say is like step outside of your comfort zone. If you are uncomfortable around poor people, go hang out with poor people. If you're uncomfortable doing it by yourself, do it with, another, do it with a friend, Right? If you're uncomfortable, like, handing out money to people on the side of the road, give them freely. Not because you live in a scarcity mentality, because you live in an abundance mentality. If you feel like uh, people who go to jail deserve it, go listen to their stories. Go understand the background. And go being about someone who brings about freedom in people's lives. And go be about someone who brings about justice in the world that we live in. The freedom and justice are not, like, they're not opposed to each other. The gospel is big enough for this all to play together nicely. God didn't, he's like, oh shoot, I forgot about justice. No, absolutely not. Like, he gets it. Like, the gospel is big enough. There is enough. It can go all the way around. And that as we live lives of radical freedom, and as we share this good news, like, imagine what our world could look like if we all truly embrace this.
Imagine what your apartment complexes would look like as you become an agent of freedom. Imagine what our city would look like as we become an agent of freedom. And imagine what the world could look like if we took this message of Jesus seriously. And then we got to the streets and we got to work in our word and in our deed. Not juxtaposed to each other, but actually in congruence with one another. Because that is what Jesus will do throughout the rest of this gospel story as he marches towards the cross in order that all of humanity, all of us, every single person, no respecter of persons, that the cross says there is enough room for every single one of us in an abundance mentality. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to respond in worship, so the band's going to come back up. And as they get up here, they're going to play in the background so that I sound spiritual. Um, and I'm just going to give you a chance just to respond. And like, what's been holding you back? Like, what about tonight, like, gives you pause? What about tonight gives you fear? What about tonight, like, gives you encouragement and excitement about what the Lord could do through you? As you think about pushing through your own comfort zones, as you think about proclaiming the gospel narrative, as you think about being someone who sets people free, like, what gets you excited from a place of your own freedom? And I want you just to commit that to the Lord tonight. I want you to commit that to Him and say, you know what? This is the moment, right here, right now, no longer am I going to live with a scarcity mentality. Freely it has been given to me, and so freely I'm going to give, and God, I want to be an agent of freedom. Please help me. And then when you feel like you are ready to commit to that, when you feel like you are ready for like this to be your anthem, I'm going to invite you just to stand and sing. The band is going to sing a song, and I don't know which one, but I'm sure that they do is the most important part. So I'll just, I'm just going to go ahead and pray now. You can stand now and you can just sing when you're ready. Everybody can stand now. Grace of God, we thank you that you're a God of freedom, that you're a God of justice, and that you're a God of power. And as we stand here tonight as agents of your freedom in a world that desperately needs us to proclaim your freedom, God, I pray that you would empower us by your Spirit. God, just as Luke's gospel said that you went into the power of the Spirit, we pray that we would go in the power of the Spirit. And God, I pray that you would put people on our hearts, that you put people on our mind, and that we would share freely with them out of an abundance mentality. That we not be scared of what, what we're going to lose, but that instead we would be excited about what we would gain from the experience what we would gain from our brothers and from our sisters, what we would gain by being a person of freedom. And so come quickly, Lord Jesus, be with us as we commit now to being agents of freedom. Amen.